Live from the K Spiritual Life Center at American University, this is Interfaith-ish. I'm Miranda Hovemeyer, one-third of the team that brings you bold conversations about what we believe, why we believe, and how we navigate the common ground and differences between our traditions. And now, give a warm welcome to the host of Interfaith-ish, Jack Gordon. Interfaith astronauts, how are you feeling today? All right, are you having a good time at the summit so far? Those of you who have participated, yeah? So we really want to thank the folks who have been working really hard to organize the summit. Big thank you to Miranda, who's one third of the team. All right. Our interfaith astronaut who's in absentia, Sue Katz Miller. Big round of applause for her. And of course, our in house DJ, Jeff Philosopher who we'll be hearing from. All right. We're away from our usual home, which is a shoebox studio in Tacoma Park over at WOWD, Tacoma Radio. Uh, you can listen to our show every other Wednesday on 94.3 FM. And we're really happy to be part of this, this weekend here at the Interfaith Leadership Summit. In full disclosure, we just wanted to share, I was part of the original team that started the Interfaith Summit. This was back in 2012. We were in the midst of a presidential election that felt like it was a little bit off the rails. I don't know if any of you guys remember a million years ago to 2012, but it was a time when folks in the, in the political sphere we were talking about this guy over here, we were upset about this Mormon, and they were accusing this other guy over here about being a secret Muslim, and religion was really at the center of so much of this conversation, but nobody really knew what they were talking about. There were a lot of accusations flying around, and it just felt like a, a really toxic atmosphere to be a part of, and so a team of us came together and we said, you know, we really want to influence the discourse here in Washington, D.C., and see if we can make our fair city, our capital of this United States, a model of constructive interfaith dialogue. And we really wanted to start with young and emerging leaders that are here from as many communities and groups as we could possibly get together. So just for a day, just to start these conversations, start building these relationships, and hopefully build the groundwork for future collaboration to come from there. So we did that for about five years with about 100 to 200 people coming at a time. And then we got to the next election. And uh, that made the first election seem pretty quaint by comparison. And the other thing, though, that we noticed is that, that the importance of interfaith collaboration um, was something that was really on the minds of many more people by that time. You know, do you agree with that? It feels like it's a little bit more of the conversation now, no? Um, really people coming to work together really out of necessity. And so we continued to do the, the, uh, the summit for about five years and then I handed over the reins to the current group of folks who are doing a really excellent job leading it. And I really want to just acknowledge and appreciate the fact that they've really sustained this work. So thank you again for the folks that are leading our summit this year. If you haven't been following Interfaith-ish, basically when I stepped away from leading the summit in 2017, I thought about how I could continue to build on these great relationships with folks all throughout the, the DC area from so many different faiths and backgrounds. And so I teamed up with Miranda and our other colleague Sue at the beginning of 2018 and we started Interfaith-ish at our local uh, community radio station, Tacoma Radio. And in fact, we did our first test recording for the show right here at last year's Interfaith Summit. And for today, we've broken format a little bit. We've got an exciting program for you with our little show here. We're mixing it up a little bit. And so we're gonna, we're gonna pack in as many wonderful guests as we can. Are you ready for that? You ready to have a good time with our guests today? All right. Good. So it's time to get into some interfaith-ish, all right, all right. I want to welcome our first set of guests, Netta Zodi and Chase Kimball. Come on up, guys. Welcome them. 
Excellent, right here, right here. Netta Zodi is the director of OpenGovHub, the world's first co-working community and network focused on promoting open government reforms globally. She's also an artist and a leader with the sanctuaries and has been an organizer of neighborhood study circles called Halakas for Muslim millennials particularly. So welcome to you, Netta. Thanks for coming. You can, you can hold the mic. You guys can hold the mic. Thanks for having me. And Chase Kimball is a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, where he serves as a high-stake uh, sorry, a high stakes counselor. <laughs> high stakes. Um, stake high counselor for the DC Third Ward. Um, and professionally, Chase is a product manager for the US Digital Service, a tech startup within the federal government dedicated to improving government technology. So thanks for coming, Chase. So happy to be here. All thanks. right. So um, I wanted to start um, just by talking about something that I think you guys have unique in your experience, perhaps is not shared by many other people in the room, is that you recently both hung out in Libya, uh, not together, separately, on separate assignments. So Libya's not usually first on people's vacation or travel itinerary, but I wanted to hear a little bit about um, why each of you were there and, uh, and what the experience was like for you. Um, I guess I'll get started. Um, so I got to visit Libya in 2012, so a, little, a couple years ago, um, but with, uh, for work. So I was working for an NGO here in DC, um, supporting Middle East policy, um, and really supporting activists kind of before, during, and after the Arab Spring. Um, so it was a really, really powerful visit. Um, we went to support some youth organizations that were monitoring the elections and parliament. Um, but it's definitely, you know, there were not a lot of tourists at the time. It really felt like a war zone still in many ways at that point. Um, so it was a really kind of humbling experience. Um, but, uh, but I also had some kind of funny encounters uh, being there with my boss, um, you know, at that time. And I was also, this was my first job right out of college and just had a lot of really memorable experiences. Mm. So. Well, and Chase, what about, what about you? Sure. So I was um, out in Libya in the fall, late sort of November, December of 2017. I had taken a hiatus from my time with the U.S. Digital Service to work on a contract with the United Nations to assist the election commission there um, with the rollout of voter registration. They have a registration via SMS platform in Libya, and they were preparing for elections that they hoped would happen last year. They're hoping will happen this year. Um, and one of the precursors to an election is getting people registered to vote. So I was there for a little while helping them out. So I'm going to take a, a wild swing and 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 guess that there's not much of a Mormon community over in Libya. No, no, not, you know, all sort of North Africa in general, it's pretty sparse. Um, so I, I was there, actually had, I uh, was given permission from sort of senior church leadership to, you know, normally every Sunday we take the sacrament and it's, and it's um, blessed and passed and we receive it at church. Um, you never would do that to yourself. It's always given to you, but had permission. Basically they said, there's nobody, you know, <laughs> hundreds, thousands of miles near you, you can, you can give yourself the sacrament while you're there. There so. aren't any, any missionaries, any elders walking around the desert no, out there no, looking for doors to knock on. So tell us a little bit about that experience. You were gone for how long altogether? So I was there for about a month. A month, okay. And so, I mean, obviously you're away from your family. How did you keep your spirit going during, the, during that time since you had no community sure. life around you? Yeah, most, mostly just through personal, personal scripture study, personal prayer. Um, it, it was very interesting. I, I had this really remarkable experience where uh, the, um, I was reading, I, so every night I'd stay at this UN compound in, in, uh, um, in Tripoli and just reading in, in the Book of Mormon at this time one of our sacred texts in addition to the Bible um, which a major thrust of the, sort of the storyline in the Book of Mormon are these, these warring factions of people who sort of descend into increasingly sort of fractured society um, and, uh, and, and there's this passage that just that really evokes that very clearly and then sort of the next day heard this woman talking about how the situation in Libya is sort of that nobody identifies as a Libyan first. They sort of identify first with their family, and then with their tribe, and then their clan, and then only sort of very finely as, as Libyans. And it seemed like, wow, you know, I'm 
this is this has been an issue through through this sort of tribalism has been an issue through all of human history. It's in the sacred books. It's we're seeing it right now here in Libya. I'm thinking about what's going on back at home as well. Was, um, so, uh, but but to answer your question, I think just through through personal scripture study and personal prayer is how I sort of kept my my spiritual flame alive while mm -hmm. I was out there. Neta, how about you? So, you know, it's a, it's a Muslim country. You're a practicing Muslim. So what was the experience like for, for you for you there as an American Muslim? Yeah, it's kind of the flip side for me. So I'm Egyptian-American. I'm a Muslim woman who wears hijab. Um, and I often find myself feeling like too Muslim in the US and not Muslim enough in Muslim countries like Egypt, you know, where my parents come from or uh, Libya, its neighbor. Um, so I always kind of have these funny encounters, um, especially as a woman too. So for example, um, you know, I have a practice of going to Friday prayer services here and that's almost unheard of um, in Egypt um, where women can just watch the service on TV or listen from their balcony because there's prayers happening kind of on every corner. Um, but I did have this funny encounter um, when I went to Libya in 2012. So, you know, I can kind of blend in um, walking down the street, but I was with my boss, um, Steve, <laughs> um, who does not blend in so much. Um, and, you know, so a lot of people asked us questions about what are you doing here? <laughs> um, and at one point we're in a long cab ride with this really lovely older Libyan man. Um, he was giving us recommendations about where to eat great fish and do all these things. And then at one point, he kind of looks at me in the rearview mirror. Um, and when he realizes that my boss isn't Muslim, he was like, why haven't you converted him yet? <laughs> and I, I was like, in my head, I was like, um, because he's my boss, for starters. Like, what? This is in Arabic, so yeah, exactly in Arabic. to Steve. And, and the funny thing, I mean, Steve did know some Arabic, but I don't know if he quite caught that interaction. Get the nuance on that one. Exactly. So it was just, you know, you, I could tell it was coming from a good place, but it was one of those many moments that I often have where kind of Islam religiously versus culturally, like I often feel like I'm kind of walking a fine line between both worlds as I travel to, um, you know, to Arab countries and other Muslim majority countries. Mm -hmm. Was the flip side for you, Chase? Did anybody knock on your door asking to convert you? <laughs> <laughs> it, it did not come up much, though it was, there was, um, while I was there, it was, um, the uh, uh, the prophet's birthday, mm. um, and they, I mean, every day I would go into the election commission offices, and with this sort of half a dozen team of young, um, recent college grad software engineer types, who were just the most earnest, wonderful young men, and and on this holiday they brought in this amazing sort of very starchy dish with a lot of uh, sort of thick plum syrup and um, it was phenomenal and 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 they they said their prayers in the office there um, on that day and and they felt very comfortable having me there I felt very comfortable with them and I really appreciated that mm. moment with them awesome awesome so I'm curious as experts in governance issues I wonder if you guys have any reflections now that the US is about to become a failed state um, <laughs> where, where we're gonna go next <laughs> Yeah, not, not, not actually not, a real not question. Good, question. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, I do believe in but, learning from, from others. So actually, go. like in my work, we're doing yeah. a, a fun kind of series, um, helping Americans learn from activists in other countries when they've had issues with corruption and backsliding democracy. So I will put mm -hmm. a plug for that. Nice, <laughs> nice. And, and, and just to add, you know, uh, like I said, I think it was a, that experience of, of sort of seeing the... the um, the divisions in Libya and, and, and also seeing it reflected in, in the scriptures as well, that this is a human thing and, and thinking about our, our situation back home, just to really hit home the, the point that we, unity really matters. And if we can have sort of a, a conversion of heart to care for one another, even when we see things in different ways, mm. that what we have in common is more important than what divides us. Um, we've had members move into our congregation here in D.C. to work for uh, this administration, and I worked for the last administration, but that we can serve together in, in, in brotherhood and sisterhood is really hard to do, but it's really important. Mm -hmm. From your lips to their ears, I guess. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, thank you guys so much. Appreciate it. Here we go. Thank Give it a you. hand for our guests. Very nice, very nice. Hello, dear listeners, just popping in here to say I hope you are enjoying our first ever live show. We had such a good time putting this program together and would love to do another one soon. 
So if you're connected to a venue that would like to host Interfaith-ish, whether at a university or a conference or a community center, let us know. We'd love to bring the show right to you. Just send us an email at interfaithish at gmail.com and we can figure out all the details. All right, back to some more Interfaith-ish. to have the maestro who's in charge of uh, creating our music right here. So everybody give it up for Jeff Philosopher. How's everybody feeling? Woo! All right. Here's a little song for everybody. Goes like this. Thank you for being you. Universal, yet unique, yet united, so barakalahufik, yeah, yeah, you know it, yeah, yeah, you know it, yeah, yeah, you know it, thank you for being you, 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 you can sing along with this, you, 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 I see your soul searching, trying to be your own person, let this be reassuring, you'll be the best version, so distinct, yet diverse thought through our immersion, so universal that the aliens can get us earthlings, so gracias, arigato, shia, shia, and shukram, or merci, if I'm speaking to a French or Persian, whatever you're doing, I need you to know it's working, cause nothing worth it ever came without a little exertion, whether it's physical, spiritual, intellectual, just make a habit of effort, and bet it's a sure thing, a yes ma'am or a yes sir thing, no more I guess we have a bias to making a certain attitude full of gratitude so much that i've accrued is flowing out of me and out of you but hey maybe you needed it this might help you see it through this be that glass cleaner that i add my elbow grease into to let you know your goal is not only feasible but it's artful what kind of easel you use matter of fact let me see your tools ah yes the paintbrush of faith god bless you let him be your spirit's compass and lead you to the virtues that you'll encompass. As we evolve, absolve problems to progress, then build up from that breakdown that cause stress. Now, am I making this too complex? Apologies, because all I really want to do is thank you for listening to this and thank you. Thank you for being you. Thank you for being you. Universal, yet unique, yet united, so barakallahu feek. Yeah, yeah, you know it, yeah, yeah, you know it, yeah, yeah, you know it. Thank you for being you. You, 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 yeah, yeah, you, you. When I appreciate, I alleviate. Any kind of stress the inner me creates Some of it's cheesy anyway, shouldn't even be there So when I sort it out, it's like my inner peace squared Good times good, but good times alone Is good enough to give your mind a little nice push To get you through the threshold Cause if anything I know, this world gets cold But we never complain, we never criticize Not just to be alive, we trying to elevate. That's why I'd rather look at a prayer and memorize I'm feeling certified and universalized. I probably made that up, but if it made the world smile, I'll run with it, have fun with it, make the most out of life that's unscripted. While I thank you for being you, universal yet unique, yet united. So barakallahu fiq. Yeah, yeah, you know it. Yeah, yeah, you know it. Yeah, yeah, you know it. Thank you for being you. Let's clap. keep it going say oh yeah. yeah and if you're feeling like we should probably do this all year say all year and if you're feeling like we could learn a lot from each other say oh yeah oh yeah and if you're feeling real intergalactic let's discover say oh yeah oh yeah hey hey every round of applause for yourselves thank you Thank you, Jeff Philosopher. One more time, give it up for Jeff Philosopher. Woo! I think I've, I've known Jeff, I think, since, since he was in high school. And uh, I'm so excited that we get to continue to collaborate through all these years. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, thank you. 
So I want to welcome to the stage our next set of wonderful guests. Please help me welcome them, Aisha Mehta and Adrian Graham. All right. Aisha Mehta is the Associate Director of Programs at the Hindu American Foundation, a nonprofit that advocates for Hinduism and the Hindu American community. Aisha manages and implements HAF's community programs. And Adrian Graham is the Director of Communications and Membership at the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Rockville. And previously, Adrian served as the Member Relations and Engagement Coordinator for Temple Sinai, a larger form Jewish synagogue in Washington, D.C. I do want to take a point of personal privilege here and say that New Jersey is fully represented here amongst this trio. Aisha, uh, you're from originally? Um, from, well, I was born in Edison, New Jersey. There you go, Edison, New Jersey, mm -hmm. and Adrian? I was not born in New Jersey, but I grew up in Essex County, New Jersey. Essex County, and I'm from Union County, Westfield, so I'm glad that we have some nice appreciation for all the bounty and beauty of the Garden <laughs> State here. Yes. Aisha, I, I wanted to start with you and just, you know, you, you're from Edison. Some people might not know that there's a, a big Indian community now in Edison, New Jersey. So I want to just hear about, like, what's your experience like being in Edison in a, in a place where there's really a, a thriving Indian, I assume, Hindu community mm -hmm. as well? What's the, the life like there? Yeah, so um, that's sort of my, my parents came to Edison, New Jersey, because our family was there. There is a large Indian population and, of course, a large Hindu population. Um, there's a street in Edison called Oak Tree Road where there are a, a lot of Indian shops or, well, just lots of food and restaurants and um, boutiques. Um, getting a check, did, has anyone been to Edison, New Jersey? Mm if you're familiar with that area. So Oak Tree Road is also jokingly called the Hindu Highway okay. because there are so many stores on that area. But also wanted to make the distinction that we try to separate the fact that not all Indians are Hindu and not all Hindus are Indian. And especially now in the US and sort of all around the world, there are a growing number of Hindus who just are, are adopting Hinduism and mm -hmm. not of Indian um, origin. Mm -hmm. But given the fact that there's so many Indian engineers and scientists and so forth, I'm, I'm going to assume that they didn't just move to a town called Edison by, by coincidence, <laughs> right? Was that sort of by design? No, there? We, like, we planned all of that out. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like the coming to America. Where should we go to find a queen? Queens. You know? <laughs> Where should we go to be an engineer? Edison. Yep. <laughs> so cool. So I, I wanted to also ask, you know, one of the communities that I feel like is, frankly, to be totally transparent, foreign to me, is, is really the, the, the Hindu community, particularly when it comes to younger people. So I, I'm curious to know, here in D.C., what is the the young Hindu scene like? Like, are people congregating around the, the temples that people worship at? Is it is it really more of a social thing? People are meeting up and uh, just hanging out outside of a religious context. What's it like here? So that's a question that the community, I think, is still trying to figure out. Mm. Um, we don't have a place within. So the way that the Hindu community sort of organizes is around temples. And so a lot of the temples are in suburban environments. And so there's, you know, through high school, a lot of families and children will go be associated with that sort of organization. But when it comes, when like kids go to college, they may be part of their Hindu students group on campus. Um, but then when they are young professionals working in a city, there really is no sort of organized structure where people can come together. And so a lot of it is done either personally or going out into the suburbs. Um, one of the things that I started with a couple of friends was just doing at-home study groups because there is there aren't that many places that we can sort of come together. And um, my organization is, is working on these types of things, sort of opening the door, having conversations about how do we get young Hindu Americans together in large cities. Mm -hmm. um, and I would love to learn from other faith groups as to how you do that. And I've worked with a number of other communities, but still trying to yeah. figure it out. It sounds a lot like actually what, what Nutta is involved with, with the mm -hmm. local neighborhood Holika scene, right? Yeah. So, so that's cool. That's actually interesting. Hopefully a, a point of collaboration there. You can sort of learn together. I know in the Baha'i community, that's something that I've definitely been advocating for. And we've had some Baha'is go over to the Holika group and, and likewise participate in different activities. So that would be a cool thing to work on, getting it uh, with the Hindus as well. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. So Adrian, going to you, when we first met a few years ago, you had an interesting job. You were in charge of membership at a synagogue, but you're, you're not Jewish yourself. 
So I'm curious, how did that work? Well, I started at the synagogue as an administrator and rabbi's assistant. So mm-hmm. I assisted several several of the rabbis there uh, and grew into the membership role uh, later in my time there. And uh, whereas I don't personally identify as Jewish, um, growing up in northern New Jersey, um, there are a lot of Jewish <laughs> You're culturally there. acclimated. Yes. <laughs> um, so I do have a lot of Jewish friends, and I actually have a, a Jewish uh family that I consider to be part of my family. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I did have some experience uh, with Judaism before working there. And the opportunity presented itself, and I applied for it, and they hired me. So mm-hmm. I cool. was there for a few years. And what, what, was the, what were the type of tasks that you were in, involved with, with that? Um, as an administrator, I kind of you know followed all the office equipment mm-hmm. and uh, opened contracts with different vendors. Um, as a rabbi's assistant, I guided families through uh, the uh, bar and bat mitzvah process oh, wow. and made okay. appointments for the rabbis. Um, as a membership uh, coordinator, I talked to any families that were new to the synagogue and answered questions about what the community was like and mm-hmm. how they could be involved mm-hmm. uh, and got them connected. And we were talking about you know, a, a very critical part for any new community or, or new member that would be moving into the Jewish community. Where are the best bagel places to go to in oh. Montgomery County? <laughs> I can't answer that question. <laughs> that's, that's a good Jersey the, There you go. Right, right, right. right. It's hard, hard to find them. Hard to find them around here. So let's talk about, a little bit about your current position and your identity as, as a Unitarian. Tell us a little about you identify as both Christian in your upbringing, but pagan in your practice. So tell us a little bit about, about that dual identity and how that mix in with the UU identity as well. Sure. I, uh, I was raised Christian, uh, and so I attended for most of my teenage years the United Methodist Church, uh, a predominantly black United Methodist Church. Uh, so that might give you an idea of what the flavor was like. (laughs) Um, But I left after I graduated from high school and kind of wandered for two years. Uh, And then I became a Unitarian Universalist and I've been one ever since. Um, Unitarian Universalists have people coming from all walks of life and different experiences uh, spiritually. Um, And so for most of my uh, experience as a UU, uh, I kind of just identified generically as a Unitarian Universalist, looking at uh, spiritual sources from all over. And only really in the past couple of years, uh, actually after having worked at the synagogue, I wanted to go deeper in my own spiritual practice, so I reclaimed my heritage Hmm. as a Christian. and, but also my outlook is more akin to a pagan perspective in terms of uh, the natural cycle of things and uh, being uh, in nature and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And do you find that in, in the community that you have in Rockville, are there lots of folks that are, that are coming there that have a similar either dual perspective, dual identity, or they've, they've gone from whatever their upbringing is and they're finding a home now in the Unitarian communities? So uh, my experience in the, in the synagogue was that of uh, folks who were coming in who wanted to convert mm. uh, to Judaism. And in my experience, conversion implies a, a turning from something and, and towards something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have a concept of conversion in Unitarian Universalism. We just say people are coming into the faith. Mm. And so uh, we don't ask them to turn away from whatever faith they were uh, raised with or no faith at all. Uh, so. A lot of people do have uh, multiple belonging, uh, so they identify as a Unitarian Universalist, but also as a Christian or a Hindu or Mm -hmm. a Buddhist. Uh, So we don't ask them to to give that up. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, one of our principles is acceptance and growth of spiritual practice Mm -hmm. uh, individually. Uh, So we would encourage people to continue uh, whatever practices are enriching in Mm -hmm. their lives. Cool. That's interesting that you bring that unique perspective to it. All right. So some of you probably know that I'm I am a a huge uh, comic book nerd, and I've put together a little game here that we are calling comics or religion. <laughs> are any of you guys comic book fans? Do I have any comic book fans here? No. So this is going to be even more hilarious. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to break you guys up into teams. Chase and Netta, you're going to be on one team, and Adrian and Aisha, you're going to be on the other team. And I've, I've created a, a set of questions. I don't have any, any prizes, but there are cookies at the end of the show, so uh, that'll, be the, that'll be the prize for everybody. Okay, so we're going to start with an easy one. So a lot of people know that Superman is often considered as an analogy for for Jesus. Uh, Notably, his Kryptonian family is called the House of El. 
And those of you who are familiar with biblical Hebrew, El means of God in Hebrew. So my first question is, which of the following is not a relative of Kalel Superman, but in fact a character in the Old Testament? And we're starting with, with Chase and Netta. Chase and Netta, this is a question for you. Is it Jophel, Jor-El, Khan-El, Betzalel, Karazor-El? Any guesses? This is, any guesses at all? Which, which sounds like this would be a, a character in the Bible? Betzalel, you're right, that's right. Betzalel is the artist who was in charge of the Ark of the Covenant. Oh, Asia's nodding your head. Did you know that one? Oh, all right. Okay, that was your guess. Okay, all right, cool. I was proud of my guess. All right, so I know that you guys are all very familiar with uh, the Guru Granth Sahib, which is the holy text of the Sikh faith, um, which is the, also known as the permanent guru. It's interesting, the, the Guru Granth Sahib is, is basically a text that's revered in place of a person, right? The Sikh faith um, venerates a number of gurus, and the last of those is, the, is actually the text, the Guru Granth Sahib. So I have a, a set of quotes here. Which of the following quotes is actually from a comic book and not a quote from the Guru Granth Sahib, okay? First one, this is for you guys, first one is, the creator has made me his own. He has destroyed the city of sorrow. Okay, next one. In the cave of intuitive wisdom I sit, absorbed in the silent trance of the primal void. True wealth does not burn. It cannot be stolen by a thief. Option number three. Option number four. Waves are but water, wind but air, and though lightning be fire, yet it must answer thunder's call. And number five, he himself created and adorned the universe, and he himself contemplates it. Some are counterfeit and some are genuine. He himself is the appraiser. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I can repeat any of those for you, okay? Uh, we're we're going to go with number two. Number two. In the cave of intuitive wisdom, I sit absorbed in the silent trance of the primal void. No, in fact, it was waves are but water, wind four. but air. Is that four? Yeah, it's number four. Oh. And, though, <laughs> and though lightning be fire, yet it be thunder answers, answer thunder's call. And of course, that was by the mighty Thor. Oh my gosh. All right. <laughs> Sorry. All right. So, and, and here for, for fun, I found a nice picture of these sick guys that are dressed as the mighty Thor. So they're having a great time with, with cosplay. Um, all right, next one. Most of the X-Men that we know and love today first banded together in the classic giant size X-Men number one. This is for you guys. The early history of the Baha'i faith is likewise collected in a giant size volume called the Dawnbreakers about the first group of believers to accept this new religion. What is the title, the special title, of that first group of believers? Is it the Warriors Three, the Squadron Supreme, the Letters of the Living, the Daughters of the Dragon, or Power Pack? The first Baha'is were called the Warriors Three, the Squadron Supreme, the Letters of the Living, the Daughters of the Dragon, or Power Pack? Any guesses? Yeah, the letters of the living. You got it. That's right. The letters of the living. There you go. Very nice. Very nice. Well done. Well done. Okay. All right. All right. This one back to Aiden and Asia. Which of the following refers to something of deep religious reverence to members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and is not, in fact, a magical totem wielded by Dr. Strange? The Eye of Agamotto, the Pearl of Great Price, the vapors of the Vishanti, the fires of Ithkalan, or the crimson bands of Sitarak. Can we ask a friend? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's the pearl of great That's price. That's right. Very good. Give it up for him. The pearl of great price. The Pearl of Great Price is a text that's a selection from the revelations, translations, and narrations of Joseph Smith. Very good. Okay, so likewise, no asking for a friend here. We're going to turn to Hinduism. Which of the following is a deity in the Hindu pantheon? Is it Algrim the Strong, Zarko the Tomorrow Man, Ego the Living Planet, Kalima the Dark Mother, or Galactus the Devourer of Worlds? Any guesses? Algrim the Strong, Zarko the Tomorrow Man, Ego the Living Planet. We're gonna try Planet. 
Kalima the Dark Mother. That's right, you're right. Kalima the Dark Mother. All right, very good, very good, very good. Okay, so this one is a, uh, a lightning round. Um, you have to tell me if each of these quotes are either from the Buddha or the Silver Surfer, okay? All right. First quote, when if ever they learn to live in peace as brothers, when will they learn that love is the power supreme? Is it the Buddha or Silver Surfer? I think, okay. I thought it was the other one. Oh, both. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, the Silver Surfer. You're right, okay, that one's the Silver Surfer. Okay, next one is, those who sent me on my mission would not have the earth fall into lasting darkness. They would see men evolve, not regress. You and the other children will lead a new world. Is that the Buddha or the Silver Surfer? I think it's a, yeah. I think it's a Surfer. Oh, yeah. I think it's a Surfer. Silver Surfer again, yeah. you're right. Okay. Number three, truly there is a spark of divinity in all who live and think and strive. Buddha. No, that's also the Silver Surfer, actually. He is, he is, he is a Marvel Comics uh, philosopher. Okay. All right. So back to uh, Chase, and I promise there are only a couple more of these. Um, Chase and Netta, um, is the following quote from Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita or Thanos in Infinity Gauntlet number one? I am death which overcomes all and the source of all beings still to be born. I am time, the destroyer of all. I have come to consume the world. Have you watched Infinity War? Have you guys seen the footage? Nope. He's obsessed with death, Thanos. That's why it's hard. Thanos, so, then. Let's no, it's actually Krishna. It was Krishna. No, it's, 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 it's Krishna. It's, have you read the Bhagavad Gita? It's all about war. And, okay, it's, it's, a, it's a parable. All right, so next question. Um, in 2018, two living legends passed away. Which of these larger-than-life characters wrote these words? The power of prayer is still the greatest ever known in this endless, eternal universe. Was it the Reverend Billy Graham or Stan the Man Lee? <laughs> the power of prayer is still the greatest ever known in this endless, eternal universe. Any guesses? Oh, it's us? Yeah, it's you guys. I'd guess Stanley. You're right. It's this guy. It's Stanley. That's right. The creator of most Marvel comics, and he wrote it for Uatu the Watcher, which I'm sure you guys knew. Yep. In an old issue of the Avengers. Okay. All right. Back to uh, Chase and Netta. Here's an origin for you. Origin story. You know, famous superheroes all have their origin stories. So. A murderer on the run in the Egyptian wilderness is given a second chance by an all-powerful deity and returns to civilization with superhuman abilities to fight oppression and pursue justice. Is that the origin of Moses or the Moon Knight? Big Moon Knight fans? Anybody? Moses. Anybody Moon Knight fan? Moses. Say what? Moses. Moses. You're right, that's Moses. You're right, it's Moses. So Moon Knight's origin is that he's a murderer on the run in the Egyptian wilderness who's given a second chance by an all-powerful deity and returns to civilization only with peak human abilities. He doesn't have superpowers, but he does fight oppression and pursue justice. All right, also fun fact, the Moon Knight is the son of a rabbi who is, his life is saved by Khonshu, who is an Egyptian god, and he's made his avatar. So if anybody's in divinity school, that's a subject of a term paper right there. I just gave you a freebie. All right, last one. Here we go. Is the following quote from the Bible or the Super Friends cartoon show? <laughs> So stand ready with truth as your belt, tight around your waist, with righteousness as your breastplate. Any guesses? Is it from the Bible or the Super Friends card? I can read it again. I had yeah. a lot of fun reading it. Okay. Yeah. So stand ready with truth as your belt wrapped tight around your waist and with righteousness as your breastplate. I'm going to say super. Is it art? Yeah. Oh. I'm going to say super friends. No, it's from the Bible. Oh, sorry, it's Bible. Ephesians. <laughs> it's Ephesians 6.14. But I found this cool picture of the Christian knight, which is by a Christian superhero publishing company. He's got kind of a cool costume, right? He's, uh, he's got the, the breastplate of righteousness, and he's got a flaming sword and everything like that. I thought it was a pretty cool design. No? Um, but then I found, but then the other guy that they're publishing is this guy. 
Mr. Christian, who uh, just has sort of a bootleg red tornado costume. I don't know. That, I'm not sure how effective that guy would be at intimidating cr criminals with, with the... Uh, just the simple name, Mr. Christian. Okay, well, anyway, thank you all for humoring me. I really appreciate that. I really appreciate that. So you guys are all winners. Thank you so much. Um, if anybody does want to start a comics or religion podcast, I'm available after the show. We can discuss it. I've worked probably harder on that slideshow presentation than I have for anything else in years. I neglected my family. I neglected my work. The hours that I put it, I really don't know what I'm going to do with myself. Um, after this, but I'm glad we could have a little bit of fun. Okay, so now we're going to have a little bit more music from Jeff Philosopher. Take it away, Jeff. One more time for Jeff Philosopher, everybody. All right, all right. Um, this next song I'd like to share is inspired by a Baha'i quote, which is, do not be content with showing friendship in words alone. Let your heart burn with loving kindness for all who may cross your path. So here we go. Do not be content with showing friendship in words alone. Let your heart burn with loving kindness. Imagine yourself in a village in another world. Let me give you this image. Can you travel a far distance, dazzled by alien existence? And you will miss your family, for instance, but in addition, miss human kinship. Oh yeah, this other world is splendid, but mankind has a soul that's endless. Because we got the power to create, and the ability to learn, and the potential to evolve and develop more empathy, the power of concern, for the well-being of another. That there's what makes us great. Again, I'ma have to rediscover the advice I'ma take, saying let your heart burn, burn, burn with loving kindness. Let your heart burn, burn, burn with loving kindness. For all who may cross your path. For all who may cross your path. Can I walk this path all alone? No, sir, see, I would not last. Oh, sure, I would get there fast, but I wouldn't get far, make myself an outcast. So uh, can I get a little help? See, I knew you'd understand how human endeavor depends on the strength that we're working together. The more than the better. I love my people. My people is everyone. My work trying to show that is never done. In the meantime, I'ma try to be kind. Cause I ain't got no time for being meantime. That's a prison for the heart. They're living in the dark. Here's a candle. Can you let your heart burn, burn, burn with loving kindness? Let your heart burn, burn, burn with loving kindness. For all who may cross your your path. See, I don't know anyone that doesn't have a story, and I don't know anyone that doesn't have a journey. If I could walk a mile in your shoes, I am sure we would have enough solidarity to make me your attorney. Cause I got your back like massage therapist. I said a job already, I am aware of this. That was my backup plan in case I had bad luck, man. But lucky for us, somebody has my back. If I lose focus, I get sidetracked. This is what my hope is, my motivation. Our potential so great when we let our heart burn, burn, burn with loving kindness. Yes, let your heart burn, burn, burn with loving kindness. For who? For all who may cross your path. For all who may cross your path. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. Thank you again, Jeff Philosopher. So I'm curious if, for each of you, if there's something that folks don't usually understand about your community or maybe about your segment of the community that you think would be important for people to know? If you were like on an elevator ride with somebody, somehow the topic of religion came up, you only had until like the 10th floor or whatever, what's, what's, some, what's something that you feel like is most important for folks to know, for example, about what it's like to be a millennial Hindu, for example? Um, I, I think one of the biggest things is that 
Hinduism, and, and I, I think this, there are elements of this in, in many different faiths, but Hinduism is a very personal practice, and the way that everyone practices it is, is very different. There are people who are atheist and, and Hindu, and it's possible to be agnostic and Hindu. And so while it comes across as something that's very, very diverse and different, there are some core tenets that um, bind many Hindus together, but it's not, there aren't, rules that necessarily every Hindu has to follow. And so while that comes across as confusing, I think it's something that it, it suits me very well because I can choose, pick and choose what works best for me at this point in my life, mm. given the circumstances of, of my life and my situation, where I'm living, and, um, what works best for me. Um, so that's something I, I think I, I like to share and that want people to know more about. Do you, do you feel like there's that dynamism is something that is new to this generation or new to people that are living in the in the US as as a diaspora a Hindu diaspora would it be different then if you know is it do you feel like it would be a more dogmatic experience or conservative experience if you were growing up in a majority Hindu country um, I think I think that's a great question I think people who have been raised Hindu, so people who were born and raised, at least in the United States, um, talking about this per particular experience because this is what I know most about, um, but they are realizing that that aspect of Hinduism is sort of built into the religion and built into the faith, but what they had been taught by their parents was a more structured, ritualistic practice that didn't necessarily make sense to them. Mm. Because we would go to the temple, you'd be forced to say these prayers in a different language that you didn't understand. Um, but there's a deep element of like questioning and mm. um, logic behind it within Hinduism. Mm -hmm. And a lot of younger folks, I think, are rediscovering that. Um, that's something that's existed there, but sort of hasn't been talked about. And so, um, it's exciting to have sort of younger people coming to Hinduism and realizing that they can question things and um, there are answers and you can sort of continue to explore through your entire life. Mm -hmm. Cool. Adrian, what about uh, for you in terms of the UU community? Uh, the UU community, I could describe very similarly as Aisha described the Hindu community uh, in that uh, there are many different expressions, uh, both individually because we come from different places uh, and we have different focuses on our own spiritual paths, but because in Unitarian Universalism, religious authority is vested in the local congregation, uh, even if you have multiple congregations in, in a geographic area, each one will have a different personality based on the people who make up that congregation. So it, it does uh, become difficult to say what is true of Unitarian Universalism, uh, generally speaking. So uh, someone would say, well, are you Christian? And, and so my response would be yes, and, mm. uh, because some of us are Christian and some of us are atheist and some of us are Buddhist, uh, but our uh, faith tradition grew historically out of the Judeo-Christian um, uh, line of uh, spiritual paths. Uh, so similarly to Hinduism, I would say that's one of the challenges is that uh, people, at least in my experience, want things to be clear cut, black and white. Well, are you this or are you not this? Mm -hmm. And uh, we kind of live out of both and faith. Uh, so yes, I am. Mm -hmm. And also not quite. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so it can be challenging and confusing from outside, but it's really nourishing uh, for those of us who live that experience. Beautiful. Good. Nada, what about for you? For what, what's something that folks should should know about the the way Islam is practiced for Muslims? Yeah, for sure. Um, I'd focus on something that is both very personal and very public, which is um, you know the choice that I made as a Muslim woman to wear hijab when I was 17. Um, so basically, like the reason I chose to to do this was first and foremost as a tool to help draw me closer to God and kind of grow in my faith. Um, mainly because I know that it differentiates me from other people and I try to use that as a motivation to live out Islam's values in the in the best possible sense. So like down to it giving me a little extra motivation to hold doors open for people and say hi to bus drivers and that kind of stuff. Um, so that's really personally meaningful um, and I would just add that you know, unfortunately, there are many cases where Muslim women uh, don't have a choice in the matter, whether it's a, you know, a family expectation or the government or whatever. Um, and those circumstances just really frustrate me because I feel like whenever you force anything upon someone, you're immediately taking away the possible benefit that they could get from it. 
So I, I would just want to, you know, kind of remind folks that there's many Muslim women out there who see this actually as a very liberating decision to take attention away from your body as a woman and instead command respect for being a whole human being, basically. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Chase, any words of wisdom for people who are curious about the LDS community? I think that one of the things I, I perceive is that I think people in this country still have a sense of very monolithic kind of faith. I think um, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are extremely diverse, I think much more diverse than our public image. I think we often think of Mormons as straight, white, upper-middle-class Republican Americans. Um, and that ignores the fact that there are far more members of the church outside the U.S. than there are inside, for example, um, that it's growing very rapidly uh, across the global south, that um, here um, in this country and in this city, the church is especially diverse. My congregation on 16th Street has um, just sort of every type of person you could imagine in terms of long-term African-American D.C. residents, uh, recent college grads, young families like myself, uh, immigrants from various quarters, political, uh, across the political spectrum, um, and it makes for a really rich worship experience to come together and know that you know, we're brought together by one faith and one baptism. There are all these other things that make us interesting individuals, and I feel that very richly in the church as well. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Great. Well, thank you all for joining me today. I think we're, we're about at our, at our time for the session, but um, I really want to appreciate you. So one round of applause for all of our guests here. Thank you so much. So Interfaith Astronauts, have you had a good time today? Are you enjoying yourselves? Yeah? All right, great. I want to thank again my terrific production partner, Miranda Hovemeyer, for all of her help. Uh, today, our fellow interfaith astronaut, Sue Katz-Miller in absentia, the talented Jeff Philosopher. One more time for Jeff Philosopher. <laughs> Holding it down on the music. I want to thank again the organizers of the DMV Interfaith Leadership Summit, the staff of the American University and uh, the Case Spiritual Life Center. And thank you, dear audience, for spending your time with us today. If you want to hear more of our great episodes, we've got 23 episodes in the queue ready for your subscription and download. Just follow us and subscribe to our, our feed. You can follow us on social media at Interfaith-ish. And if there's Interfaith-ish that you wish to dish, you can email us at interfaithish at gmail.com. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you join us the next time on Interfaith-ish. Have a great day. Oh, and I totally forgot, we made cookies. So on your way out, grab a cookie, sign our mailing list, enjoy the rest of the summit. Thank you so much. Dear listeners, that's a wrap on our first ever live show. What an awesome day. What amazing guests. I can't wait to do it again real soon. And if you're eager to have another installment of inspiring interreligious interlocution in living color in your neck of the woods, we are open to all invitations. Hit us up at interfaithish at gmail.com to make it happen. And of course, be sure to check out our feed every other Wednesday for new in-studio episodes featuring all the interfaith-ish.